know, there seems to be a consistent theme here with what Lizzie was sharing about her aunt, what, what Caroline has just shared with us in song, and it really just goes along with what God is going to show us in our word here today, which, which we're studying through the book of Luke. We've come to Luke chapter 5, and so if you will, find your way to Luke chapter 5, and we're just going to see how God is piecing these things together. You guys, I'm, I'm not prepared enough in my normal weekly routine to let our musicians know this is what we're going to be preaching about on this Sunday, all right? So when, when God orchestrates something like this, I know he's got to be behind it because I have not given them the heads up. This is where we're going to be, and this is what we're going to be studying. But I want to share with you a message today that, that's titled, He is Willing. He is Willing. Because that's going to be the persistent thing that we see in the text that we see here today. And as we kind of get in our thoughts, as we get collected for this text that's before us, as we get to Luke chapter 5, verse 12, I just want you to, to, to think through a couple of things with me. I, I heard of a college freshman who had called his, month about, uh, called his, his mom about a month into his new stay there on the college campus. And, you know, it's a new place for him, a new experience, but he's gotten settled in, so finally he's ready to call home to mom. And, and there was a little bit of a chuckle in his voice as he described his new living conditions. He told his mom, he said, do you remember how, when I was growing up, you used to always tell me, don't expect me to clean up after you. I am not your maid. Any of you moms ever said that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah, there's some moms out there that have said that, right? Well, it turns out that this, this, this guy apparently had a dorm maid. There was someone who was there who was supposed to be taking care of things and keeping things tidy around the dorm. And he said, I, I happened to leave my toothbrush in the bathroom just this past morning. And, and as I went back, I noticed that the dorm maid had put a, a little sign there beside of the, the toothbrush that said, Clean up after yourself. I am not your mom. <laughs> and it can be hard for us to teach our young ones to live lives that are clean and orderly. Can it not? Sometimes that's a little bit tough for our older ones too, right? And though mothers are attempting to train their children to be responsible and to take ownership of their own lives for their own cleaning chores, often there's a good bit of work that just false to them a lot that they just have to assume as a part of their role in the household but there's some things that mama just isn't willing to clean and there's some things that that maid just would not be willing to clean as a matter of fact there are some things that that neither of them are even capable of coming close to cleaning for example as much as a mother may want to that mama cannot clean her child's heart. She can't address the impurities of sin in her son or her daughter, try as she might. She, she can't take a sponge and some soap and make her kids right in God's sight. There's just not a product on the cleaning aisle at Food Line that's going to enable her to do that sort of thing. But yet, we all need to be cleansed. Some people have a greater awareness of this than others. And when we come to Luke chapter 5, verse 12, we're going to find an individual, a man, who was very aware of his need to be cleansed. Because for many years, he'd been all too aware that he was unclean. This was the resounding theme of his life. He'd heard it over and over again that he was unclean. 
because he had this disease. This disease which caused other individuals to avoid him. This disease which caused others to stay at a long distance away. In fact, he even had a responsibility per God's word to warn individuals about his uncleanness. Everywhere he went, his job was to call out to those who were in his vicinity, unclean, unclean, so that they would know that they should stay away from him as he rounded the corner. And he couldn't enter the place of worship. He couldn't offer sacrifices. As a matter of fact, he was so unclean that he couldn't even go into town. He had to stay far away from everyone because they were afraid of him. Because he was, he was a danger to them. You, you see, this man had a deadly and a contagious disease of his skin called leprosy. And leprosy is a horrible disease. It, it changes the color of a person's skin. It disfigures his body. It mangles his face. It eats away at his internal organs. It eats away at his ability to feel things and to, and to sense dangers with the very aspect of his touch. And this, this, this individual would face a life where ultimately his face was being mangled and the insides of his body were eating away such that he was facing this progressive death. But not just any sort of death, it was a repulsive death to so many others whom he would go around and a contagious sort of death that would cause them to say, you keep your distance. And anyone who encountered this man could easily see that he was consumed by this wretched disease. He was not clean. And with every horrified look from others that he would encounter outside of the city, this man was constantly reminded that he was unclean and he longed to be made clean he longed to find a physician who could heal him of his wretched illness so that he could enjoy the company of friends and family and and so that he could enjoy the peace of being able to worship god by going to the temple but all of this was kept from him by this disease and then one day he heard the good news about this healer, this miracle worker who was making his way through the cities of Galilee near where he lived. We aren't told exactly what this unclean, diseased man heard, but, but what we find in the text here gives us a pretty good bit of confidence that, that he knows some of the things that Luke has already been talking about in his gospel to this point. He must have already known or heard about some of the things that Luke has shown us to this point in his gospel because he apparently has some sort of idea that Jesus is able to do the sort of things we've seen Jesus doing in the gospel to this point because already we've seen Jesus healing those with various illness. Already we've seen Jesus exercising power over the spiritual realm as he has driven out demons from individuals. Already we've seen Jesus with this ability, this strength over natural created things. As even last week we saw how Jesus commanded this great catch of fish for these professional fishermen who were a little bit hesitant to, to see his work and to follow him. And so apparently this, this, this man has heard some things that Jesus has done, and, and all of a sudden he has this glimmer of hope. He begins to see that there perhaps could be some opportunity that my disease could be cleansed. 
And he begins to wonder, is it possible? Could it even be fathomable that this miracle worker might be able to make a difference for me? And this, this one question begins to overwhelm his thinking. He's heard the story, so he knows what Jesus is capable of doing. But what he does not know is this. Is Jesus willing to do a miracle in me? And maybe you're here today and you're in the same camp as this leper. Maybe you've heard the testimonies of so many others about how Jesus has worked miracles in their lives. You've heard them talking about how he's made such a transformation in them. He's made them into something new. And maybe you have just kind of out of a result of that, out of an appreciation for that, your own respect, your own appreciation for the fact that you believe that Jesus can make a difference in the lives of others. But but you've got the question that says, well, what about me? I know that he's able, but is he willing to cleanse me? Is he willing to make a difference for me, maybe you're here with this leprous man in his ponderings on this day. You see, this, this man had lived many years of disappointing encounters with other men who had repeatedly made it abundantly clear that they wanted nothing to do with him. He was eaten up with nasty things, things that nobody wanted to get near, things that nobody wanted to touch. And there are plenty of people in our world who have that same sort of mentality. They know that they are unclean. They know that there is sin which is eating their lives up. They know they've got some nasty things both in their past and in their present that they are dealing with. And they know that many individuals would would shy away from them, would, would say that they were unclean if they were to get these things out in the open. They know, they just, they just feel so confident that individuals would say, stay away, you are unclean, if they knew about all the shame and all the guilt and all the things that they are scurrying away, trying to hide on the inside. Last week we caught a glimpse of how holy Jesus is. He performed this miracle that brought this overwhelming catch of fish to skeptical and reluctant fishermen, particularly one fisherman named Peter who would become one of his primary disciples, one of those who followed him most closely, one of those who would be commissioned by him and serve most powerfully in the church thereafter. But in the aftermath of that experience, we found that this fisherman whose name was Peter realized how holy Jesus was. To the point that he fell down on his knees before Jesus and said, Lord, go away from me because I'm a sinner. And we know from that experience, we know ultimately that what happened is that Jesus called him to follow him. And Peter gave up his vocation. He and his, his buddies there on the fishing boat, they gave it all up so that they could follow Jesus. So we got a sense of an idea from this context here as we look at the gospel of Luke that Luke is showing us that that Jesus is a friend of sinners that Jesus welcomes sinners into this fellowship I mean he's inviting Peter and James and John who who have realized the gravity of their sin to follow him and that's a comforting sort of thing to know that Jesus is willing to be close to sinners but but ultimately the question that that Luke's going to deal with next is well 
well, what's Jesus going to do with that? Like, like, is Jesus just okay to have sinners coming along with him, or is he going to do something about their sin? And that's where Luke takes us to next. And so in today's passage, the circumstances are a little bit different. But throughout Luke's gospel, we're going to see this consistent theme. As we've been studying, we've been talking about how Luke is a gospel for the rejected. So much so that I've titled the entire series as we go through this book of Luke, Outcasts. Because Jesus is constantly going after those whom nobody else wants anything to do with it. And Luke draws that out so clearly, abundantly more than, than what you would find even among other gospel authors who record some of these same passages but here the circumstances are different now we have one who is already aware of his utter filthiness not like peter who was kind of you know well maybe jesus is a is a good guy maybe 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 i need to be following him you know maybe i got enough together on my own you know peter eventually has to see a miracle to know that he is in his filthiness whereas this this one we're going to encounter today he knows he knows that he's not clean and he wants to know, is Jesus willing to make me clean? And the root question that he has ultimately is this. Can Jesus deal with my sin? Sure, Jesus called this, this Peter who was sinful to follow him. But, but there was no mention about what Jesus did with Peter's sin. Is Jesus just here to tolerate sinners? Or is he here to transform sinners? And that's what Luke sets about to illustrate for us in these next couple of passages and the main thing that we're going to find as we look into God's word here today is this Jesus is willing and able to cleanse those who are in need he is willing and he is able to cleanse those who are in need look with me at Luke chapter 5 starting in verse 12 while he was in one of the cities behold there was a man covered with leprosy and when he saw Jesus he fell on his face and implored him saying Lord if you are willing you can make me clean and he that is Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying I am willing be cleansed and immediately the leprosy left him and he ordered him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, just as Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But the news about him was spreading even farther, and large crowds were gathering to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Here we've got a man right off in this passage who, who gives this, this subtle alarm that you probably wouldn't detect if you didn't know the context of Scripture because we see right at the beginning there in verse 12 that Luke describes how in a certain city Jesus encountered this man. And the Old Testament law, particularly in Leviticus chapters 13 and 14, describes how an individual who had a skin disease like this man had was to be banished from the city. He was to remain outside of the city walls. And so we already see something that would have, in the ancient reader's mind, captured his or her attention to say that, wait a minute, this individual is not where he's supposed to be. 
And the disease that he had, there is a, there's a modern terminology for that. It's called Hansen's disease. Hansen's disease is also described as leprosy, even in our, even in our modern day. Now, now, over time, the immune system of humanity has transformed a bit. Hansen's disease is still a disease which is actively diagnosed. I think there were 53 cases of it in the United States in one of the recent years. But it's very treatable now. We have antibiotics, and, and it can be treated very quickly through those antibiotics. And, and it, as a matter of fact, there's even some statistics that would say that 95% of the population has now developed an immunity such that we could not cap, uh, catch Hansen's disease to start with. But it tends to be prevalent in third world countries, places where medicine is not more refined and more developed. And this disease ultimately uh, will start with a patch on the, sin, on the skin, and that, that's, that, that patch will eventually seep through the skin into the nervous system. And, and the biggest problems of what happens with Hansen's disease is that it impacts your ability to feel. And so uh, in reading up on Hansen's disease, I found that you know, certain individuals will, will damage their extremities because they don't feel what's happening. I, I heard of a doctor who was working with Hansen's disease patients and, and he went up to a rusty deadbolt and could not open the deadbolt door. And, and, yet, and one of his patients came and was able to open the door. But, but that patient was actually a 10-year-old boy. And so the doctor was kind of alarmed. He said, well, how on earth was I not able to open this rusty lock, but this patient was able to? Well, it turned out the patient couldn't feel his hands. And so when he went to turn that lock, the key cut right through and left his bone and his tissue hanging out of his finger he saw the drops of blood on the floor and realized that this this young 10 year old boy had been able to open the door because he didn't have the feeling that Hansen's disease creates and ultimately Hansen's disease starts out with that sort of of impact on individuals but that this this leprosy will eventually impact so much more of the body, it eats away at the skin, it disfigures the face, it disfigures an individual's nose. And uh, ultimately, we find that there is much that happens, both in the disfiguration of, of their bodies and in the coloration of their bodies. As this, as this disease continues to eat them up and change the very look of who they are, the color of their skin. And, and ultimately, the one who has leprosy is both diseased and dying. And when we look to Leviticus chapters 13 and 14, we learn a lot about this disease. I'm not going to make you all turn there because there's a lot of content in Leviticus chapters 13 and 14 about leprosy and how a leper was to be treated. As a matter of fact, the first half, maybe probably three quarters of Leviticus chapter 13, is all describing for priests how they were to diagnose this very ailment. So if an individual was to come with a patch on the skin, how should the priest know whether that patch on the skin was actually leprosy, where an individual should be called unclean, versus just some other ailment that might heal up and go away in a week or two. And there was this whole process, this procedure, where a priest had to make evaluation on these seven-day intervals to figure this sort of thing out. And the priest was essentially serving as kind of like a doctor in this case of giving the diagnosis. The only problem is he didn't have the cure. The cure was to drive individuals outside of the city, which sounds a little bit rough to us at first until we realized without a treatment, this was kind of a quarantine. This was a way to keep the rest of the community healthy. 
And in Leviticus chapters 13 and 14, we find that what's described as leprosy there includes an infection that is deeper than the skin. It's, it's turning hairs white. It creates boils. It even creates boils in individuals' eyes so that someone who's been suffering with this for a number of years would become blind. And, and it has this change which a priest can detect over 7 to 14 days, but it's a, still a very slow-progressing sort of disease that leaves the skin raw. It can cause baldness and can cause scaly skin, can cause infections on the head. And all of that meant that an individual would have some pretty severe social implications just by that, right? I mean, I mean, just to see someone going through those sorts of things, you could imagine that would change the way that they go to the marketplace because they don't want individuals to see them with these nasty sores. But the social implications were even more severe when you consider the quarantine aspects of Leprosy, because Leviticus chapter 13, verse 45, verses 45 and 46 had this to say. As for the leper who has the infection, so you know, if the priest is determined, okay, this guy does have leprosy. As for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn. The hair on his head shall be uncovered. And he, and he shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside of the camp. That sounds like a pretty tough sort of life, doesn't it? That sounds like a pretty tough sort of place to be. So as you can imagine, one who was facing this disease, this diagnosis, would face a pretty severe bit of loneliness. They were cast out of the community, driven out away from others. And beyond even all of that, there are religious implications. As we know that our God is holy and nothing which is unclean could stand in his presence apart from his work to make that possible. And so individuals who had leprosy were not able to go and to worship in the temple. Those who were unclean were banished from worship in the Jewish religion. As a matter of fact, one rabbi in ancient times was quoted as saying that he would not so much as eat an egg that was purchased on the street where a leper had walked. Another rabbi described how he would throw stones at lepers so that they would know not to come close to him. And so severe, so deep are the wounds of this disease that our hearts our burden to think of where this man must have been on this day when this healer came to town. One commentator summarizes the impacts of leprosy by saying that one who has leprosy faces death by inches. It's a death that slowly eats away every aspect of an individual's life. And ultimately, my friends, there's such a strong parallel in what we see in leprosy and what we see in sin in our lives. The Bible would use that as, as an illustration of showing us. As a matter of fact, when an individual was, was healed of his leprosy, he was to go to the priest and he was to go and make a guilt offering for his healing and his restoration. Because there's this strong tie to sin and what the Bible is describing through this leprosy. And ultimately, in our lives, we find so often that as we are pursuing the sins of our own flesh, pursuing the sins that this world waves in front of us, we face a death 
by inches. Heard of a man named Wayne Carlson who stole a car when he was barely 18 years old. He got a one-year sentence in the Saskatchewan's Prince Albert Penitentiary. But rather than serving his time and focusing on a new start, he decided he would stage an escape. He got out, but then he was quickly recaptured, and he was given a longer sentence. This fueled for him a greater determination that he was going to escape, and so he escaped again. As a matter of fact, he eventually set the North American record for 13 prison escapes. And he stretched that initial one-year sentence into an ordeal that lasted three decades. And, and my friends, I just want you to know that so often for us, we find the same sort of setup in our lives. We face one wrong, and we, and we try to cover it up. We try, we try to take this, this approach like it's nothing wrong. We, tr- we try to make amends, and then we find ourselves right in the midst of the next thing where ultimately we are dying a death by inches rather than seeking one who can heal us of this which is going wrong. And this man comes and he makes a request. He wants to be cleansed. It's interesting to me that that the scripture talks about how he wants to be cleansed. He says to Jesus, if you are willing, you can cleanse me. He doesn't pray for healing, which is kind of the prayer we would expect for him to pray. He, He prays for something that is deeper than just healing. And again, this is the tie of the Old Testament. The terminology that was used there, that one who was unclean would be one who had this sort of ailment. And so Mark's gospel gives us an additional insight that this leper came to Jesus. He actually came seeking Jesus out. And so I just want to share with you, as we dig a little deeper into this passage, five lessons on how we, can, how we should come to Jesus for cleansing. You want to know how to come to Jesus to be cleansed? Well, this leper is going to give you some lessons. The first is this. Come to Jesus with humility. Come to Jesus with humility. In verse 12, we find that when the leper sees Jesus, he falls on his face. It's the same sort of terminology that would be used to describe worship in so many other contexts. But this individual realizes that he is so less worthy than this one who has come. He he has this humility that realizes that he is worthless in the sight of this one who is so much more worthy, at least comparatively so. And and you know, sometimes a a, a disease can be a blessing in disguise. Let, Let me say it that way. But because sometimes we get so wrapped up in our lives and our own self-confidence and the fact that we feel like we've got it on cruise control and that, you know, that we're, we're going to the place where we want to be, that we, that we miss the fact that we need to be cleansed. We, we need to be healed. We, we need something beyond what we can provide in our own abilities. And, and, and sometimes a disease or, or sometimes a diagnosis or sometimes a situation that you may be facing in life, in your life, here and now, can be a blessing for you because it takes the will out of your hands and, and requires you to say that I, I can't do this thing on my own. It causes you to fall on your face with humility before the Savior to say, I need something greater than me. And ultimately, this man came. He was ready. He came with a humble disposition. But do you, my friends, do you recognize your plight? 
I, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, when you, when you look to eternity, do you realize that you cannot save yourself? Do you realize that there's nothing that you could do to stack up enough good works to earn for you a righteousness with a God that you have sinned against? Do, do you realize that ultimately you are just one of a multitude who have sinned against God and who have fallen apart from His will and who need to be cleansed? Do you have the humility to acknowledge these things? And there's a certain way in which we are all lepers because we are all eaten up with sin. And we can't fix this on our own. We need to fall on our face before one who can. And so the first lesson is to come to him with humility. The second lesson is to come to him with hunger. We find that when this one falls before Jesus, when he falls on his face in front of Jesus, he begs him, he implores him, the New American Standard says, that he might cleanse him. This man yearned for a cure. He didn't just realize what was wrong. He yearned for a cure, right? I mean, I think there's a lot of people who would go through the other extremity of that where they realize that they're sinners. They've got the humility to acknowledge that they're not right with God. But they fall into a couple of traps, right? They either fall into this sort of dismay, this disappointment, this discouragement and finding out that they're sinners that says, I'm not worthy of anything. And so I'm just going to live a life of despair. Or they, or they find themselves into this sort of mentality that says, well, sin is fun. Sin is good for a season. Let me just make the most of that to the point where they, in that moment, do not have the passion. They do not have the hunger. They do not have the yearning to be saved. And there are many in our day who allow their love for sin or their despair in sin to drown out their hunger for a cure. But Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And that's certainly the heart of this one who comes to Jesus as he implores him, as he begs him to be cleansed. And I, and I just want to ask each one of you, do you hunger for righteousness? Like, like do, you, do you realize that there's something so much greater from a, from a creator who, who made it all, who's, who's placed within you the, the ultimate desires that you ought to have and, and that you've pursued other paths away from do, do, do you have a hunger to, to find the fulfillment of one who made you for a particular purpose who made you for his glory do you have a hunger to be cleansed and i want, I want to say to you the lesson of this leper is to come to him with hunger because this leper finds that his hunger is satisfied and you my friends will find that he has satisfaction for your hunger. But thirdly, come to him with, with homage. Come to him with this respect, this, this acknowledgement that he is one who is greater than you. In verse 12, we read that the leper addresses Jesus as Lord. He says, Lord, I know that if you are willing, you can cleanse me. 
Now, Lord is a word that was used pretty frequently in this day. It could have meant a couple of things, right? Lord could just be a term that you use to acknowledge that someone is, is more respectful than you. It could be a word kind of like sir that you would use, that we would throw around. But it was also a word that individuals in Jesus' day used instead of the word Yahweh, that holy word which referred to the Lord's name, that they would use the word Lord instead to, to speak about God. And which one of the usages is this leper using in this passage? Well, we don't have a real clear indication other than the fact of what he describes about Jesus being able to do apparently shows that he knows that Jesus is more than just another guy who's going to be throwing stones at him, who's going to be driving him away, who's going to be saying, you keep your distance. I'm not eating anything over on that street where you walked. He obviously knows that Jesus has a little bit more power than that because he says, you can make me clean. And he pays homage to Jesus with these words that he states here. And he realizes that he's the inferior. He realizes that there's one that is greater in his midst. And and friends, I just want to ask you, do you realize who is in charge of your eternity? Do you realize that there is, there is one who holds all of eternity in his hands and that he is compassionate and that he has reached out, that he has sought to make a difference for you? Do you have homage to acknowledge that you cannot do this thing on your own, that Jesus must be the one to make this difference? Because Jesus has all authority. Jesus has all power. Jesus has all wisdom. This man recognizes that Jesus is something different. And because of that, he is prepared to call him Lord. And so I say, come to him with homage. But fourthly, come to him with hope. Come to him with hope. You see, this man says to Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He he ultimately realizes that the decision is not his own. He realizes that it's not something he can can transact on his own. It it almost relies on the fact that this one who is capable of making a difference in the cleansing of his body, in the cleansing of his soul, it all relies on the fact that this one must be willing to do that sort of thing, not just able to do so. But he comes with a hope. He comes with an expectation that Jesus certainly can do this and all hope beyond hope that he'll do this sort of thing for me. And so he left it all to Christ's will, but he was hoping for some pretty big things. He didn't come and say, well, you know, Jesus, if you are willing, you can give me a good day today, right? I mean, Jesus certainly could have given him a good day for the day. Not, not necessarily something bad to hope for. But he's got his sights set on something bigger, right? He doesn't say, Jesus, you can help me to cope with this situation that I'm in right now, right? He's praying a bigger prayer than that. He's, he's got a greater hope that is exemplified in the fact that he says, Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I mean, you can wash me. You can make me into something new. You can take all of this mess away. And that's a pretty hopeful sort of request. And I just want to tell you that hope is right next door to faith. As a matter of fact, hope is, hope is an integral part of faith. We read in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. 
And so this man comes with an air of faith. In his hope, he is, he is ready to lean on Christ as the one who can make the difference for him. And, and I just want to ask, do you realize what Jesus can do with your uncleanness? Do you, do you realize what he can do with your sin? Do you realize that Jesus can take your junk and can make it into something new? He can transform you into a new vessel for his purposes. He can cleanse you. And so I say, come to him with hope. Because he will satisfy your hope. But fifthly, don't expect to leave the same. Don't expect to leave the same. We learn some pretty important things about Jesus in the midst of this encounter. Because when this one comes and says to Jesus, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. What he learns is that Jesus is willing. As a matter of fact, you know, we, we've, we learn in, in Matthew's account that there were crowds that were traveling with Jesus down from the mountainside as this very event happened. And we could just imagine those crowds kind of coming along with Jesus as they're walking down the mountainside and they see this leper and they're like, Jesus, you might want to go over that way, right? You might want to stay away from this guy. He's unclean. You don't want to capture that disease, right? Then Jesus has this interaction with him. And what do we read? We read that Jesus stretches out his hand and touches him. This man had probably not been touched in years. He'd probably not had contact with another human being in a long time. And we can just hear the gasps from the crowd. As Jesus reaches out and does the unthinkable, as he places his hand on this one who is unclean. But my friends, this is all the nature of Jesus wrapped up in one action because he reaches out to those who are unclean. This is his very heart. This is what he yearns to do. This is why he left heaven's glory and took on what would otherwise be an unclean vessel and made it holy in the very flesh of humanity that he took on himself. Jesus, you see, reached down and touched humanity through the incarnation so that he could make the difference for us, so that he could make us clean. What Jesus is doing in this moment with this leper is what Jesus has been doing for the last 2,000 years. And ultimately, as we look back to history beyond that, the testimony that they were looking forward to was that one day one would come and one would touch and one would cleanse and one would make them new. And we, my friends, live on the other side of that where we can look and say, Jesus has come in the form of a man, God in the flesh, God and man united together so that he could bring the touch that brings cleansing for us. Ultimately, God is reaching out. God is, through Christ, cleansing individuals, even in these moments, even in these days, perhaps even in your heart and your life, where you reside right now. And I've just got to think, if the heart of Jesus is to go after those who are unclean by everybody else's standards, what is the heart of his bride? What is the heart of the church? What is our heart when it comes to individuals that our society may deem as unclean? 
Or are there maybe even individuals that we would consider unclean that the, that the society would not consider unclean? And how do we react in those situations? What is it that we think is untouchable? Are there individuals that we would not be willing to minister to because we are think they are so defiled that they are dangerous to the church? Perhaps some of us think of individuals who struggle with attractions to individuals of the same sex as untouchable or as unclean. Or it could be individuals who are addicted to drugs and selling drugs who we assume are beyond Christ's healing touch. Maybe we see prostitutes and alcoholics or gang members as those who are untouchable and unclean. Are there certain individuals that are simply off our radar when it comes to ministering the gospel of Christ? Are there areas of the town where maybe we wouldn't go because we know of the activities that happen there? And we're worried that we might encounter those people. We might put ourselves in danger. Are there areas of the world? Are there nations that we just would not even fathom going to share the gospel in because we have this expectation that there are dangers of unclean people there? I just want to say I'm glad that Jesus didn't have that mentality. Because if Jesus didn't go to the unclean, then Jesus wouldn't have come to Jeremy. And he wouldn't have come to any of you either. And we should praise God that there's not a person that Jesus is not willing to make clean. But here's the trouble. He's given us that message to bear. He's given us that gospel to share. And if the unclean are going to hear that they can be made clean, then we must be willing to faithfully go and do what Christ has commanded us to do. We must be willing to make disciples, especially of those who we see as unclean. We must be willing to let others know that there is a way to be made clean before God. There is a Savior that is able and willing to cleanse those who will call out to Him for cleansing. And he is willing to cleanse them. And ultimately, we see that Jesus brings complete healing to this one. He brings complete cleansing. We see that the leprosy left him is what we read there in Luke chapter 5, verse 13. It's a complete, a total sort of healing. And ultimately, when we have encountered Jesus we're going to experience, and my friends, you should expect that you will not leave the same. We're going to experience a real transformation. Because like this leper, once you have been cleansed by Jesus, you're no longer going to be the same. Once you've been cleansed by Jesus, you're no longer going to be controlled by your appearance. I mean, we've got this leper who's ultimately been controlled by the fact that his skin was another color. His skin looked mangled. He, he was not rep, well presentable in certain contexts of culture. And all of his life, individuals had been telling him that because of your skin, you are less worthy. And Jesus doesn't look on our skin, my friends. Jesus looks at the value of the image of God that is placed within each one of us. And he says, you are worthy. I don't care what your context is. I don't care where you come from. I don't care what the color of your skin is. You are worthy to me. Once you've been cleansed by Jesus, you're no longer controlled by your appearance. 
Also, once you've been changed by Jesus, you're no longer controlled by those who seem to have it all together. Ultimately, this, this individual was ostracized by people. He was driven outside of the city square. He was, he was driven away from those who seemed to be whole, those who seemed to be healed, and he was kept at arm's length from them. He was ruled out of those who were clean enough to worship God by the priests, those who really seemed to have it all together in the temple. But once he met Jesus, he was no longer controlled by those individuals. And friends, there might be some of you who have that sort of mentality that you need to be keeping up with what everyone else is doing and that you're just inferior because of what everybody else who seems to have it all together is doing and how they seem to be able to pull it all off and never seem to have a hiccup. They never seem to have the worries that you do or the depressions that you do or the, or the issues that you do. And my friends, I just want to tell you that when Jesus makes the transformation, those things don't matter anymore because you've got one Lord who is making the difference in your life. Once you've been cleansed by Jesus, you're no longer controlled by those who seem to have it all together, but you're also no longer controlled by the Old Testament law. You see, this individual no longer had to stay outside of the camp. And there's such a beautiful imagery. I mean, if we had time, I would really dig a little deeper into this. But in Leviticus chapter 14, when that leper was made clean, when he was presenting his testimony like Jesus tells this leper to do once he is cleansed, what what he was doing in that moment, offering that guilt offering. You know what the guilt offering was? It was a spotless lamb. And you know what the priest would do with that lamb once it had been sacrificed there in Leviticus chapter 14? He would take some blood from that lamb and he would place the blood on the earlobe of that leper. He would place some blood on the thumb of that leper. He would place some blood on the toes of that leper. Sounds pretty disgusting, doesn't it, right? But you know, ultimately, what that was pointing forward to there would be a spotless lamb of God who would cover that leper from head to toe. Ultimately, he's saying that my guilt is wrapped up in the one who would come and pay this penalty, the one who would bear my sins, the one who would die as the sinless and righteous sacrifice. If I'm going to have any hope for the guilt that is mine, then there must be one who will come and do that for me. And Jesus, my friends, has shed his blood so that you can have that sort of forgiveness, the just for the unjust, so that you, my friends, can find cleansing and forgiveness in him and so once you've been cleansed by jesus you're no longer controlled by the old testament law the fulfillment of the law has come christ has come but you're also no longer controlled by a feeling of worthlessness you see this man had once felt worthless he fell on his face before jesus feeling like he really had no value to anyone in all of society especially to this great healer had come But what he finds is that the one who had all worth reached out and touched him and showed him, you're worth something to me. You are worth something to me. And then finally we see that once you've been cleansed by Jesus, you're no longer controlled by that which makes you unclean. We've got to realize here that Jesus deals with something deeper in this man's life. I mean, we might come to a passage like this and we say, well, Jesus healed a man. Okay, that's great. He brought healing. But ultimately, in the outgrowth of this, what Jesus tells this man is kind of an interesting sort of thing to us, right? And it ties in with what what Lizzie was talking about, what Caroline was singing about. 
And that ultimately Jesus wasn't just here to bring physical healing. Because in the outgrowth of this, what Jesus tells this man is that he says, don't tell anyone about this, but go and present yourself to the priest and so that he can make an atonement. It's ultimate, ultimately, he can deem that you are clean in these moments. Well, now Jesus was just coming to bring healing. Then this would be like end game, right? Because ultimately, we find out that this guy really didn't do what he was supposed to do. He was so excited about what Jesus had done in his life that he did go and he did tell. And the multitudes of crowds were pressing in against Jesus, wanting to hear his teaching, wanting to be healed. And so Jesus like really just wanted to come and establish a good health clinic to bring about physical healing for individuals here on earth. This was it, right? This was game plan over because individuals are now lined up and ready for healing. But Jesus had something greater in store, friends. Jesus had something beyond, right? Jesus wanted individuals who would want the healer more than the healing. He wanted individuals who would want the Savior more than just the saving. And ultimately, when the crowds gather around, we find that Jesus has to find other ways to get out and about. And Jesus, even in these final verses of what we looked at here today, slips off to a quiet place to pray. Because Jesus in his human nature, needs fellowship with God. He needs fellowship with his heavenly Father. He needs a reset that shows him that there's something greater than just physical healing that he has come to do. We found that earlier at the end of of Luke chapter 4. When Jesus tells the individuals who are gathering around wanting to be healed, he says, I must go to other cities because I have a gospel that they need to hear. And there is a good truth that you need to heal here as well. Because Jesus heals you, not just of physical ailments. And he certainly can do that. But Jesus offers something greater. And a greater lesson that he wants us to learn is that he can heal that which makes us unclean for eternity. He can make us totally clean. He can restore us to God. He can make us able to be in the very presence of God. And his work is what enables that for us so we've got to realize that jesus isn't just interested with physical cleansing in a in a very here and now of my diseases sort of way he's come to cleanse us of our sins and ultimately my friends the question that we find in our lives is not jesus's willingness because what we learn from this passage is that he is willing The question becomes for us, are you willing? Are you willing to be saved? Are you willing to be cleansed? Are you willing to come to Him in all of these ways? With humility, honoring who He is as the one who has all power and all authority. With hope, understanding that He is the one who can make the difference. Are you willing, my friends, to be saved by Jesus? Because he is willing to make that difference in your heart and in your life. Are you willing to lay it all out? Are you willing to let the whole world know that this is what you need? Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that you have sent one who can cleanse us. But Father, beyond this, I praise you beyond praise that not only can he 
cleanse us. But as your word shows us in these verses, Jesus is willing to cleanse us. And Father, I thank you for your mission plan enacted here in the midst of humanity, which shows this very truth so visibly, so actively in the life of Jesus that so great was the desire to cleanse us that he came and bore our sorrows. He came and was acquainted with our griefs. He came, the sinless one, to suffer the penalty that we deserved in our place. And so, Father, I pray that not a soul here today would leave this place without considering deep in his or her heart where you might be calling him or her to be cleansed. That you might be calling even in these moments, Lord, for individuals to walk away from their past, to walk away from their shame, to walk away from their guilt, ultimately to run into the arms of a Savior who is reaching out to them. That they might find healing, they might find cleansing, they might find peace, they might find life eternal in the sight of one who is holy and clean and who invites us back through Jesus. God, thank you for the cross which bore the penalties of me and so many others. We thank you also for the empty grave which shows us, O Lord, that ultimately your desire is eternal fellowship with us. Father, don't let a wandering sinner go from this place without giving serious consideration to what your spirit is speaking through your word that you are willing to welcome sinners home and father in these moments if there is a heart that is not settled if there is an individual that is not at peace then i pray god through the power of your spirit you would draw sinners to trust in you father you know it's not a magical prayer you know it's not a card that's signed or an aisle that's walked these are very practical ways which we display that we're like this leper lord we're nothing But ultimately, God, these are mechanisms through which you enable sinners to come to you. And so, Father, if there is a wandering heart here today, then I pray in these moments, even now, Lord, that you would draw to yourself those who need to know that you can cleanse and you are willing to do that very thing. And so, Father, as we close in these moments together, give courage. If there are decisions that need to be made, if, there, if there's counsel that needs to be given, then God, I pray you give courage for individuals to seek these things out. And may you do the work that only you can do. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.